I'm Max Rendell and this is a special episode of the Sleeper Podcast, at least it's special to me. Clay Porter has been hugely influential on me as a creative, as a storyteller, and as someone that's interested in mountain biking, he's had a massive influence on the culture through the films that he's made. And it was really cool to get to sit down with him. I was pretty stoked to get this one organised and it's cool to see that he's such a cool down-to-earth guy. We talked about everything to do with storytelling, art, filmmaking, you know, the whole lot. We really nerded out over some stuff. So if you're at all interested in mountain biking or filmmaking, I'd say this is a pretty good podcast. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope you get something from it. And yeah, like, comment, subscribe. Thanks, everyone. Enjoy. Well, thanks for fucking coming on, man. This is amazing. Yeah, no worries. Genuinely, like, I think it's worth saying. I'm not going to, like, blow smoke up your ass for the whole podcast, so don't worry. But <laughs> the, um, if I had, like, told myself, like, a couple of years ago, like, oh, I'll have Clay Porter on a podcast, I would have been, like, freaking out low-key. Because <laughs> when I first got, well, we got into the sport pretty late, like, 2012, 2013. So by then, you already had, like, a plethora of sort of stuff out. And then we got to, like, discover that for the cool. first time. Like, when I say... And when you say we, is that you and Reese? Me and Reese, yeah. Sick. So is that when he got in the sport? 2012, yeah. Wow. The summer of 2012. So that was like Gwen, you know, it's that sort of era. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, you, you had like all these films out and it was just so inspiring to see somebody that was actually making something that was cinematic. Um, We always sort of talk about, we always ask the guests, like, what's your favorite mountain bike film? And everybody gives like a different answer. Oh, I don't know no if you've way. been seeing that. I haven't, I, well, I've, I've seen like the little clips on social, but yeah, I yeah. haven't like listened to one all the way through. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. But your you know, three minute gaps comes up. Does it? A lot. Yeah. Um, who said that? I guess I need to just watch it. I can't remember who said yeah, it, but yeah. it came up at least twice, so, but most people say earthed. Yeah. I mean, that's, pr- I mean, I would say that's like the most really hard question for me to answer right because there's a there's i can't pick just one mm-hmm. right but i would say earth for sure before that sprung yeah um and then i would say life cycles that's what i say oh nice yeah. sick um yeah i mean earthed for um i've i've said it a number of times but alex Rankin's stuff is i i think he's he's brilliant in what he can do kind of one-man show pan and zoom camera the vibe of his project especially for the time like they're so like earth one came out 20 years ago damn right so it's um what he was able to do um he's a he's really good at uh assembling the ingredients for a final product right Mm -hmm. um maybe they're not the craziest you know they're not drone shots and dolly shots and all that type of stuff but that's not what he likes making you know what I yeah mean? yeah and i really respect alex's work and that he likes he makes what he thinks is cool right yeah yeah um and so i've always just really loved alex's work um and then life cycles would be kind of like the other end of the spectrum right where it's like take a couple years have the craziest concepts you can think of um that kind of thing so i'm trying to think about leaving anything out but there's even stuff before that 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 that's like um, Transcontinental, which is this World Cup film that came out in 1999. Never heard of that. Yeah, it's sick. You should see it. It's on YouTube. 
um, that's kind of what inspired me to like take more of, I would say like a documentary approach, mm. um, and kind of, um, they did a really good job on that. Um, but yeah, I think, I think Alex's stuff and then life cycles for sure. And then, and then also like free ride entertainment's work, um, the new world disorder series, like people often ask me like, Oh, what'd you, how'd you learn how to pull focus? And mm. I learned how to pull focus shooting world cup practice after world cup practice, but they taught me almost like, this is what depth of field is. This is what mm. color correction is. This is what um, they were definitely the first to consistently bring a higher production value to mountain biking, Yeah, which I found, you know, and that was always the goal when I was going to these races is like, how can I make something like that? Um, because when I first started filming, it was just me and Alex. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And literally like no one else. So yeah, it was, it was honestly like a case of like, well, Alex's shit is so sick. I don't even want to try and like do what he does. Cause I'm, cause his stuff is you know, it's like, you know, especially it was just so dope. I was like, well, what's the fucking point in trying to make his style stuff? So that's kind of, um, you know, I took a lot of inspiration from the New World Disorder films, like I said. And um, yeah, I just wanted to, um, I don't know, I was always really into World Cup racing. And um, yeah, so I was a little kid and was like, wanted to make world cup dvds and here we are <laughs> <laughs> here we are yeah. i was gonna ask you a more like sort of i guess awkward question like what is your favorite mountain bike film that you've made mm. um and that's a really hard one to answer i don't know how i would answer for that sure one i think um it is a really hard one to answer i think um i think cinematography wise death grip for sure um that was at a point in my career where i learned um you know, really had a solid technical base of, like, yeah. you know, um, which by the way, you said that we, you, you were talking some shit on, <laughs> what did I say? Oh, fuck. I get in so much trouble every time I do podcasts, dude. Yeah. Cause well, you get- I don't. Sven just hits me up and he's like, you fucking said this. And I'm like, <laughs> no, it was on the, on the right companion. You were like, uh, yeah. See, what like, did I say on that? Yeah. Like, Ollie was like, oh, dude, what about, what about sleeper? And you're like, oh yeah. Like they're, they're really good, you know, they could do brushing up on their technical skills, Ah, you know, like they, eventually you know, they'll learn good composition and stuff like that. And I was like, what? You fucking bastards. <laughs> that's funny. Um, yeah, I think, um, I mean, honestly, that's kind of, um, it's interesting I said that because I watched the Amory. Yeah, and that's, that's what I found interesting as well. I was like, but the Amory thing yeah, is yeah. like. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and I'll tell you what I liked. The Amory doc was like, when I met you in 2020, I was like, bro you're shooting 30p <laughs> bro, the shutter yeah. speed is too high there's yeah. all these technical things that i it was like you guys had the hard part of mountain bike filmmaking dialed which is being in the right place at the right time yeah and like literally being like okay glenn i don't know how the fuck we're gonna do this but let's do a yeah i mean whatever, at that point know. it was just me like had glenn been on he would have told me to get the 30 fps to yeah fuck. okay because like and i was the same dude yeah like if you look at like between the tape like all the i didn't know what color correction were so i set yeah. the white balance to eleven thousand kelvin yeah and, yeah yeah and all the talk nobody will know what like, we're talking about right now they'll all be like but i well, shoot at 30 well, fps I'll, what's wrong with 30 fps man yeah well i'll tell you what's wrong with 30 fps <laughs> it doesn't in my opinion it doesn't make the riding look as fast as it could yeah and i completely um, agree and and so it's uh when i say like maybe you guys had stuff to learn and Honestly, i did as late as like the flying scotsman that had 
30 mm. FPS footage in it, even though it was rendered to 25, because that was when we actually had a conversation. You're yeah, like, yeah, bro, you need, start, you, you need to start, you need to get to fight, you need to shoot 24. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I was like, oh, but Red Bull's does 25. So yeah, and I've, 25 is way, it's so close to, to, to 24 frames yeah. a second that it pretty much looks like that. Yeah. Whereas 30 um, is like, it's really hard to explain and it took me years to, to kind of like learn it. But um, I'll, how do I explain this? Like, like if, if you go to photography school, say in high school, they'll teach you how to expose an image that shutter speed is one of the tools you use to expose an mm, image. Yeah. And in my, that that's correct. And you can, you use can shutter do that, speed yeah. to expose an image, but really creatively shutter speed is a tool for the, 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 the artist to, display what they want to display and and um mountain biking just looks the fastest to me at 24 frames a second 180 shutter which is double yeah. the frame rate right yeah but it was interesting uh, earlier this year when we did we were uh, in south africa doing death grip two um i extended my flight and i shot surfing for um for five days and i am the ultimate 24 frames a second 180 shutter hence me telling you with barely yeah. even knowing you got but anyway, surfing is such a, the ground is always moving because it's water. Therefore, my rules that I had taught myself that I just explained to you didn't apply. Right. And so I found myself shooting a lot faster of a shutter speed in order mm. to kind of like freeze the water more, you know? Yeah. It's like, do you want your stuff to look really like kind of like stroby? Mm. And maybe there's a project, you know, I'd be psyched to do a project that's like, let's break all the rules and shoot at some super fast frame rate. Yeah. You know, and that's those kind of concepts these days where it's like, how can I take these filmmaking rules I've created for myself and break, break them? them? That's yeah. what excites me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so, um, but, um, to get back on track, um, but, oh, anyways, your guys shit. The Emory stuff, yeah. it was, the shutter speed was way slower. Yeah. It was, it was definitely like. Most what, of it was 50, like 50 on site because we were doing like kind of broadcast stuff for, for paint bike. Okay. Then yeah. Some of it would be 25. Some of it would be a hundred. So it was like. Yeah. And it gets really like, um, yeah, the poor viewers that don't know what we're talking about are like next podcast, please. <laughs> um, but, um. <laughs> It's all this stuff is a tool to, um, to, you know, like, like what is the story you're trying to tell? And that can be as simple as my story is shooting the fastest looking action. Right. And I'm not saying like interviews, whatever narrative storytelling, but, but what's, what's your visual goals for the project? Um, and then you kind of work backwards from there. Yeah. And the 180 shutter thing and shooting at 24 frames a second, that's just like a, you know, mountain biking is a fast sport. Mm. Like Brendog last week, we were talking, I was working on Death Grip 2 with him in the UK and we were talking about stuff and he was like, he was like, what do you like shooting? And I was like, well, and I didn't really like answer him at first. And I was like, I like shooting things that move fast. Like, I don't care whether it's a bike, a car, a runner. I, I like shooting things that move fast. Mm. And I like- You even tell that with the Tiger Woods thing. That you did, oh, interesting. yeah, because like you're the the camera movement that you introduced because the subject's somewhat static, yeah, was just like it made it so like, totally like I made it move a lot, and then you sort of accentuated that that obviously the swing, the only movement that you've got, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you really like maximize that one 
Totally. And I think if you look at like any like high end car commercial or action sequence in some James Bond movie, whatever, it's like the most engaging, even if you talk star Wars, right. Which was made in like the seventies, whatever. It's like the, the, why a lot of these classic cinema pieces, whether it's star Wars or some super slick car commercial is because they're they're the, the director and the cinematographers are shooting it. They're trying to shoot a visceral fast paced, they want kinetic energy in yeah. every frame, right? And that's, I think it looks sick, and that's what stokes me out. And it's like, um, you know, and and the other thing too is like every project is different, right? Um, but yeah, I just I like shooting things that go fast, and I like finding new ways to, um, to visually kind of prove that to the audience. If that yeah, makes yeah, sense. I guess it's like. You like telling stories as well, which I guess is more of like a for sure a thing that viewers at home would care about or understand rather than like show yeah, speed or frame rate. That's like why it's hard to answer the question of like of like what's your favorite mountain bike film you've done because like Death Grip, there is no story. You mm, know what I mean? Yeah. Um I definitely think I'm super proud of Death Grip visually, um storytelling wise. Like honestly, I would probably say like even some of the stuff before three minute gaps, like between the tape, the project I did that was on the 2006 world cup series. Mm-hmm. I'm proud of that in that, like, I can't like looking back on it knowing what I know now, I was so green. And so didn't know what I was doing. I'm proud of myself that I just like went for it. And a year later had this like DVD that I could give to everybody. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, but I would say, I mean, storytelling wise, like, um, definitely won't back down. That was a huge, huge project. Yeah. And that was what I was going to say. Like people, I think Tebow in the last podcast asked me, what's your favorite mountain bike movie? And I said, life cycles. Um, but then afterwards, you know, I was lying in my bed and I thought I should have said, won't back down. Oh, sick. Cause I was like, yeah, I, I just bought that DVD. And I remember it was one of the only, the only mountain bike film where I sat and watched it with my dad yeah, for nice. the first time. That's really cool. And, uh, what a one to watch with your dad as well. Cause it's just like, you know, yeah. A, a, an older experienced man going through his entire career and For you sure. know, having a family and losing friends and the, the whole roller coaster that life is. Yeah. As opposed to just being about mountain biking or, or racing. It was like a, this whole other aspect yeah, of it, yeah, you know, yeah. a real human story. And uh, that was like, I remember at the time thinking that that's, that's the best mountain biking film. <laughs> that's, um, really cool. that's ever been made you know and what uh when when you said tebow that was tebow tebow lally oh the, he's the intro the, dude right no so he's paint bike racing oh, okay yeah, yeah yeah got it man i'm i'm used to know so much i feel bad like i'm like used to seriously i could like be at the bottom of the downhill track and see a little speck coming down the hill and like and I, you would know yeah, yeah. Know who it was. well we can talk about like how you thought of, like this weekend run in a second yeah 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 um, let's do it but yeah the the that film what was that the the kind of first film where you sort of took a grasp of somebody's life from start to finish? Yeah, definitely. And like the only film yeah. I've ever done. Um, what was yeah. that responsibility like? It was gnarly, man. Um, you know, like Steve Pete is like my, I would say him and Sean Palmer, are my two childhood heroes, really. Yeah. Um, and so, um, yeah, it was, um, it was, uh, yeah, big responsibility. It, it, you know, what I learned through making that project is how cool Steve Pete is. 
like I would be, you know, Steve could see how hard I was working on it and how much it meant to me maybe and, and, and that sort of thing. And Steve was always like, whenever he saw me getting, um, yeah, just getting, um, I don't know, maybe taking it too seriously or something. Mm. Steve was always just like, oh, don't worry, mate, you're killing it. You know what I mean? I, you know, I don't remember exactly what he would say, but. I think to other people as well. It's that all, makes sense though. Yeah. It was like more like, like don't overthink more it. confidence in me than I had in myself. But well, to other sure people, it's literally witchcraft. That's what I've kind of learned over the years is like, people don't understand how you can take some footage, go away, and then the thing pops out at the other end and it looks like as it does. I'm presuming he had seen parts of it at that point and yeah. to, to other people that don't make films it literally is like unfathomable you're, you're creating like it's like you're sort of in the cauldron like you know what I mean they yeah, just don't yeah, yeah. get it at all they've never been on a timeline they've never totally they don't understand like and that's like what bro that's what um good editing is invisible mm, right a yeah. good editor a good editor will make something and the audience will look at it and go like oh yeah I would have made it like that course you're gonna make it like that yeah. you know what i mean but they don't see the you know hours hours of footage that didn't make it they don't see a lot of stuff so i think um but there is a style that kind of comes through though it's like your ego is in it a little bit because of the song choice absolutely like, da, 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 da. and the song music choice is very much especially in a project like well really anything but especially a documentary project like music is like your emotional tenure you know that's your cue to direct the audience to feel a certain Certainly, way, yeah. right? And it's not like, I think you can overdo it sometimes, totally. you know? Um, but definitely music in in documentary filmmaking and any filmmaking for that matter is is an incredibly powerful tool. You know, like some of my favorite scenes in films that, you know, have no dialogue and they're just like driven by some simple not even like a song right it's just like violins in the background or something you know yeah so music is um you know i've always loved in my work using music as a tool to elevate the visuals Mm -hmm. like when i first start any project from the first thing i ever cut to now the first thing i do is um put the song in the timeline and before i even like start the actual edit i have like you know like Mm -hmm. playlists in my apple music thing that's like death grip two death grip one whatever all the stuff and it's just like most of the music we wouldn't be able to afford or even if we could afford it even get the license to it but it's more just a reference yeah a reference and it's and it's like a um it's what i use to help sell myself on what i think could Mm. work yeah you know the vision for you that i'm very visual when it through sound Mm. And I presume that you're exactly the same. Yeah, 100%. So that, yeah, it comes first, the Definitely. sound. Yeah, and like now, like, like you know, step one is is creating a soundscape that can inspire you to um, just even start editing. Like yeah. Editing yeah. is, it sucks, dude. It It's not like editing Death Grip 2. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to sit in front of the computer for 12 hours. It's a lot easier than maybe like some commercial project, but it's still 80% heavy lifting. It's still 80% trying to find that one GoPro shot that you knew existed. Right. There's yeah. still, um, but then it gets, 
Do you, do you enjoy some bits of it? Like, yeah, yeah, I do. Some I do parts for, for me sure. is when you get to the the last exactly twenty percent. Just and to you, say twenty percent. Yeah, and you're yeah. just throwing you're throwing stuff on, but you're also adding sound effects, like yeah. the last sort of layers and polish, and you're bringing a level down like here, and your yep, yep. highlights down there, really tightening it up, cut here, you know. Yeah, that's when to me it it feels really really fun. But you're right; it's most of the time you're like. You're just trying to relink the footage because Premiere's being a wanker. Yeah, you know? <laughs> totally, totally. Um, yeah, and I mean, um, and even like going back to Won't Back Down, like, like I, I'm like definitely proud of that project, you know. Like, but if I were to watch it now, like it's, it's, I would, I would, I've learned that came out 2014, so nine years ago that came out i've learned a lot in the last nine years where like say i think that film was like an hour and 40 minutes ish yeah like i bet now i could create i could tighten that project up where it was just over an hour and it would be so much better yeah right like yeah. Like, like to me like like one that's back- such a mad period of time like i've not even been making films for that length of time yeah well i've been you know i turned 39 Two days ago. It's today Dude, you're looking good. Thanks, Looking buddy. good for 39. Yeah, yeah. 39, two years ago. And ever since I was 17, I've been a freelance filmmaker. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that yeah. was one of my other questions. I was going to... We'll so, go off topic here. But the, yeah, yeah. The, um, like, do you ha- did you have any sort of like regular shitty jobs? Or... Um, like a, a mechanic in a bike shop. Right. Before that. So it was that. And then you were straight into freelance filmmaking did you and you went to film school i went to film school and i dropped out after a year so <laughs> because i was learning more on my own you were learning more filmmaking on your own. And, dude film school is like i mean school in general like maybe if you're like gonna be like an airplane pilot or something like that like yeah you kind of gotta like learn that but like filmmaking is such a creative endeavor that is so unbelievably hard that like unless you're really personally motivated you're you're not you're gonna going to fail miserably unless you really have a drive to do it you know and that's what stoked me out about you boys is that i see a lot of myself and what you guys are doing Mm. where maybe you guys are just doing it you know you're not you're looking at the positives of what could be rather than the negatives of like holy shit like are we maybe gonna go broke or whatever we don't have enough clients whatever but yeah. you guys are and so that's maybe um yeah that's definitely w- like what i've seen in you guys and why i'm why For i'm sure. a fan yeah the 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 kind of i guess the sort of raw energy um i mean it started with just me it was it was just myself and that was definitely like you know with the frame rate and stuff like that it was just like well the more frames the better you know i might want to slow it down yeah, you know, yeah, and that sorry. sort of thing. And it, I had a grasp of basic story. My dad's a really good verbal storyteller. So I feel like felt like I could tell a story. Mm. And then I, I liked riding bikes myself. And I just felt like I had a, an act for it. And, you know, I went on this journey. I never had such like a clear path in regards to filmmaking. I never even considered it as a career path until I was 20. I must have been like 24. How old are you now? 27. Yeah. So it was 2018 that I made the page sleeper. Um, and that was because basically I would find myself in a pretty dark, dark place in life where it was just a bit directionless. Mm. And I was actually working as a plumber at the time. And uh, 
I just basically wrote on a piece of paper all the things that I enjoy doing and I like doing. Nice. And all the things that I hate doing, I don't want to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And on the page, there was things that I was good at and like doing was like riding bikes, making films about bikes. So I was like, totally. Gotta just go do that. Yeah. And Me- it's not like my story's not like, you know, 17 years old, I was just off to the races and life was great. Like, yeah. There's definitely, you know, I've definitely struggled with depression and anxiety a lot. And um, I think, um, you know, a lot of people see what I do and just um, it's easy to think that filmmaking is this really glamorous thing because you see all the travel and, you know, and there definitely are some, I suppose, glamorous things about it, but it's hard, hard work, Yeah, you know? And I think, um, like you say, like, I don't think the audience will ever, I don't think you'll ever understand how truly hard it is until you do it for yourself in the same way I'll never understand how hard world cup racing is because i don't race world cups yeah and i think life what i've learned is just um i don't think um it's like the like it's like it's easy to think the grass is always greener on the other side and it's and it's not you know like you look at like incredibly successful people and i'm sure they have similar stories it's not like some people have a keyboard and they have the death grip button and the won't back down button and some people don't, right? Yeah, yeah. It's so... But the, the, I think the gap between the end product and the process is what we're talking about. Like, people see the end product and I think with anything, the end product is only the tip of the iceberg. So, like, a bicycle manufacturer, their bicycle is the tip of their mm. iceberg underneath. But with film in particular, because you're almost creating a experience for somebody people are so amazed by it if you can create like a immersive experience Mm. that feels cinematic and immersive and everything like that that they just presume that you're killing it you're just absolutely killing it if you can make something like that then you're you're obviously making loads of money and it's it's yeah and it's like like in, in comparison to the process it's like a lot of you know, fighting people for, you know, invoicing clients 16 times and not play, not paying. And, you know, people totally. think that sleeper is just like balling out of control because, because they see the end product. They're like, you guys are killing it just now. It's like, yeah. But it's also like, what, what does killing it mean? Right. That's it. So it's, it's, um, you know, I think, I think people that are killing it are happy people that enjoy what they're doing. And, and, People that aren't, you know, I know, well, yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of really rich people that, um, yeah, are financial, maybe killing it, but are probably. Well, that's it. That's the whole, (laughs) it's that whole thing. But when to you. And I've definitely had to find like, you know, it's, and I'm still finding it. It's like a work life. It's really hard. Um, I think doing what you love, like I definitely wouldn't picture myself doing anything else but it's that's not to say that it's like you know awesome all the time by any means right when to you did it ever sort of overtake the the passion for it and it it maybe became like i don't know like too commercial or something like that that's i guess something that i think about a lot is like yeah where where are we going I think, um, 
<laughs> totally. And I think, I don't think there's like, I don't think I can answer your question with like a specific point in time, mm. but I've definitely in the last maybe five or so years really have learned, okay, what projects am I doing for creative fulfillment and what projects am I doing for financial fulfillment and understanding what projects are the ones that you're going to really grind on because you're going to get a creative satisfaction from that and then what are the projects that you're going to do to make money you know and oftentimes like I used to I think the biggest advice I have for for um people that are I suppose younger than me are like are like it's okay to do projects that you think are whack right <laughs> okay yeah. amen and yeah. you have to learn that not everything is like being a commercial filmmaker is by design executing a brand's idea yeah you're not getting hired to because they see your work and they just want to hand over the keys to the castle and yeah and I think a lot of creatives, myself included, um, think that like they get an ego and think like, oh, like that idea sucks, blah, blah, blah. Well, it's like, well, they're writing you the check. Yeah, yeah. Your opinion is the, valid. The analogy that and I as use. As soon as you can realize that, <laughs> at least in my experience, your life will be a lot more pleasant. Yeah. The analogy that I use is if you hired somebody to build your kitchen. Yeah. And then they just came in and made their own like kitchen. And you're like, no, I didn't want that color. Dude, dude that's exactly what I, what I was explaining. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, and I think for me, it's like my life got a lot easier once I realized that. And I think, you know, I, I would, um, how do I phrase this? Um, yeah, it's okay to, once you realize that you're being hired to execute someone else's vision whether it be a brand an athlete whatever um take the opportunity make money and use that as an opportunity to learn and then take your newfound knowledge into the projects that you're doing for creative fulfillment mm -hmm. right like any commercial these days like dude i'll shoot a dog food commercial not that i have but i totally would because maybe i'll get a chance to learn a practice on cameras that i can then take to a death group too you mm -hmm. know yeah and i guess we're both pretty lucky in that you know the industry of mountain biking it's it's pretty good like overall in terms of fi financial mm. backing like i was gonna like bring this up as well like it we, is though, dude. we could it's both like, be in skateboarding and we'd be exactly. fucked yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and i have friends that are top skate filmmakers and i talk about mountain biking and they're like you know but it but it's like we're fortunate in that um, the sport we like, um, there's a, you know, to buy a nice mountain bike is really expensive. It's like half the cost of a car these days, right? Maybe a cheaper car, but you get the point, right? Yeah. Um, and so, um, yeah, I think, I don't know. I've just had to learn to um, learn to really audit every opportunity and how can I leverage that opportunity to learn the most from. Yeah. Right. Because I think it's like the biggest being a filmmaker and, and I would assume any other creative art, you're never done learning. Once you're, once you think that you've learned everything, then you're fucked. Yeah. Right. Then people that are stoked to learn are going to go straight past you, you know? 
Um, yeah. How far away from the the mountain biking sphere have you uh, wandered in your filmmaking career? Like, what's the most obscure oh. thing that people would be like? How, how the fuck did Clayport make that milk advert? Yeah, I mean, I shot Tiger Woods. I mean, I didn't think that was that far away though. Yeah, it's still yeah, sport. It's still, like Monster Energy was the client. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, but I don't. I mean, I've shot like a Nike running piece, um, a Lexus car commercial, a Honda commercial. Um, so I suppose like the couple car things I've done. Yeah. Um, but even the bigger commercials that I've you know get hired to do, I've done like four or five Honda commercials since Death Grip One, but they're still like again, they're st- I'm still getting hired to shoot things that move fast. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And even like this year, like I did a, um, I just, we actually just wrapped it right before, um, I came, I came here from the UK and before that I came from Toronto and I shot this, um, five episode documentary series about horse racing in, um, Toronto. My buddy, Jeremy Grant directed who he's, who directed like where the trail ends. No Um, way. Yeah. North of nightfall. And so he, I got the job because Jeremy got the job as a director and then he hired me as a DP. But I mean, you know, like horse Canadian horse racing is it's 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 way different than mountain biking. And that instead of a bike, it's a living animal. But it's pretty similar in that it's a thing that moves fast, fast. <laughs> right? So, um, but I'm trying to think of like really weird, like um, maybe like a month ago. It wasn't that long ago because it's on my to do list to invoice for the project. <laughs> but uh, I shot a boat in Orange County. Yeah. Right. Um. Um. You know, I've done like a couple. Yeah, but it's. I don't know. I haven't done. Everything still can kind of you can you can you can like. You can trace a step backwards to like I've developed a skill set of being able to shoot things that move fast well. Yeah. And I get hired to do that now, you know? Yeah. And I still love, um, you know, I still mountain biking is my my roots, you know, that's that's who I am as a person, right? I'm a mountain biker that's a filmmaker, not a filmmaker yeah. that likes mountain biking. Yeah, yeah. What know? which came first for you? Mountain biking. Yeah. Yeah. How um, early did you were you um i got really into mountain biking like when i was 13 i grew up in san francisco um and i went to a summer camp in lake tahoe and one of the like activities they have was was mountain biking and that's how i got into it and then um got really into um like i was kind of okay at like in the early 2000s when i was a junior myself at like dual slalom racing yeah yeah um broke my wrist really bad dirt jumping couldn't basically ride a race and so then i just filmed my friends and then got really into that and then the kind of riding um yeah then it pretty much stopped racing and then it was just yeah then it was filming and here we are now (laughs) (laughs) how what camera were you shooting on uh vx2000 right so like yeah, the classic the classic like sony skate. one that, yeah 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 and so i had like the death lens same as all the skate dudes have you still got that i don't have the camera but i gave it to my friend who is a pro bmxer and they did a little video with it and and uh but i still have all the tapes yeah yeah, yeah that's I should, sick. like my office at home that it's like a pretty big room and it's a big closet and it's like just like racks of 
hundreds and hundreds of hard drives and there's like all these like i probably have i don't know like probably like 400 mini dv tapes that's sick now, now I'm just like, thinking, like, we need to make, like, a Clay Porter documentary and uh, del- <laughs> yeah. delve into the archive, because that shit would be so For good. sure, I have a crazy archive at this point, but, um, um, yeah, I don't know. I've, um, on one hand, I'd, I really want to do something that, that utilizes my archive, mm. but I also know the work and the heavy lifting that's involved with that, and that kind of freaks me out, and I also know that, like, it's a lot the hourly rate of shooting a commercial or a video for a bike company right is like when you add a, not that you ever could but if you were somehow able to quantify say my hourly rate making won't back down it would be like you know it's like you have to like live these projects right yeah okay so here at sleeper we've got a unique opportunity to give this whole podcast thing a really good go we absolutely love making them and we love seeing you guys enjoying them we just need some support it's a difficult time in the industry right now it's hard to find sponsorship and so we've tried to come up with unique ways where people can show their support and what we've came up with is the sleeper sticker pack scientifically proven to make you twice as fast the sleeper sticker pack is everything you could ever want (laughs) it's a lot more than a sticker pack it's literally a way that you can show your support directly to the podcast. It's a way that we can keep making them. So if you can, head to sleepercollective.com and buy a sticker pack. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you. And let's continue on with the podcast. And so that's really um, daunting for me. Um, Do you struggle with the, the same thing that I struggle with? At, like seeing too many branches. So like I, I, I'm... I think of ideas as kind of like, you know, you've got your tree, so you've got your main sort of like set of ideas and things that you sort of act upon. But then there's all these other branches that go off of it that you, that you could do. You could do that idea, or you could do yeah. that one, or you could do that one, or you could do that one, but you could only do one. I think I've like... Okay, so here at Sleeper, we've got a unique opportunity to give this whole podcast thing a really good go. We absolutely love making them, and we love seeing you guys enjoying them. We just need some support. It's a difficult time in the industry right now. It's hard to find sponsorship. And so we've tried to come up with unique ways where people can show their support. And what we've came up with is the Sleeper Sticker Pack. Scientifically proven to make you twice as fast, the Sleeper Sticker Pack is everything you could ever want. (laughs) It's a lot more than a sticker pack. It's literally a way that you can show your support directly to the podcast. It's a way that we can keep making them. So if you can, head to sleepercollective.com and buy a sticker pack. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you. And let's continue on with the podcast. You know, I've been doing this solid for 20 years now. So I've developed, I think I'm pretty good these days at like auditing opportunities Mm -hmm. and which ones to say yes to, which ones to say no to. Um, But I just say yes all the time these days. Well, and I'm. Deal with it later. (laughs) But that's, that can be good too, right? Yeah. Like. I, I read a, uh, it was like a social media meme, but it was like of Richard Branson, like Virgin Atlantic dude. And it was like some quote that says like, 
if someone asks you to do a job and you don't know how to do it, say yes and learn how to do it later. <laughs> That's exactly yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But um, I'm definitely like a person that I cannot shut off. Um, like, you know, I have ideas like all the time, dude. Um, and definitely like, I don't know. I'm just always like, I'm, I'm always like ideas and the possibility of making things that I think are cool. Even just thinking about them like that gives me energy in life. Yeah. Right. Um, so I think, you know, and oftentimes it can be super overwhelming when I'm often jealous of like my friends that are like, can put on an album and make dinner listening to the whole album. Like I'm so like, I'm like, whoa, I can't, man, I don't, can't really picture this in a project next track. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, but, but I've also like learned that like, that's who I am and that's not going to change, you know? And even when I was a kid, I was like always drawing i was always i just was i've been just making things my whole life right um so um yeah i don't know i've, I've kind of like maybe maybe 10 years ago like i was say like jealous of my friends that could put on an album and make dinner and not can switch off you know and now i'm just like i'm almost like succumb to my own brain where i'm just like I'm kind of crazy. I'm kind of weird. I'm kind of whatever. Then that's okay. Yeah. Right. It's kind of a superpower in a, in a way. I, when I was at uni, I went to uni and did sports science for two years and then dropped out because I shouldn't have been there. Yeah. But <laughs> that's, that was my film school experience. Yeah. But the people that were at the, where they were lovely people, but they were, they were all going to go be PE teachers. They were all going to go and just do some, some, something within sport mm. and they just didn't have the same brain as me at all. And I felt super isolated. Like it was me. That was the, the weird one. Yes. Cause I, I was just like, why, why are none, like none of these people are thinking the same as me. I'd be like, yeah. put on a track. I'd be like, listen to these lyrics, listen to this verse. Like how important yeah, yeah, yeah. is this verse? Totally. Totally. And they'd yeah. be like, what are you talking about? Like the songs, but like the songs for black people or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Just so close-minded in comparison to how I was, like, thinking about stuff. And just, well, I didn't see an inspiration anywhere. And I didn't think that I was, like, I thought I thought that I was just really strange. And then I met Glenn. Oh, nice. So whilst I was at uni. And you and Glenn are good. You guys are, like, I can tell you and I are really similar in terms of really passionate people. Sometimes so passionate that it gets us into trouble but 100%. From, from from the little i know of glenn i can see he's kind of the opposite of you and i think that's why your guys partnership has exactly right grown and you know you guys are doing well and every time i see you guys it's like yeah we have a couple more shooters whatever more clients you yeah. know and that's interesting any, that you picked that up so quick for sure dude and i think any creative creative partnership needs to be like that you know if you have two people that are just like all ideas and so many ideas that they don't know how to like execute them and realize them Mm -hmm. that's gonna maybe be challenging but if you have person a that's really good at this and persons b that's really good at this but really bad at the shit that person a is good at and vice versa then you guys can elevate yourselves and those are successful creative partnerships. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think the person that you described before that maybe 
overthinks the the details in the in film school perhaps where you know it's all about the details and about you know this shot has to be on a on a slider it has to be shot like this and it's very constrained and clean that was glenn mm. so glenn would make these mountain bike edits that were just so clean and sick as well like because he's this really creative person also but if he had one criticism for himself it'd be that he was getting too caught up in the in the details of just making a clean film whereas i was completely as you say the the opposite i was shooting everything at 120 and like throwing samples in from like mad areas of the world like inspiration from everywhere and combining it all into this thing that was like you would i don't want to say it was more like creative but it was a lot more free Mm, yeah yeah and then that's when we meet in the middle and then he he brings a sort of he sees the process whereas i see the idea i see the finished yeah 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 i've got the vision 100 percent. but then and i don't think about any of the problems in between because we could we could do it anything's possible we could do that whereas he could see the vision but then also sees the like he sees all the problems that lead up to that so that's like sees how to solve those problems Yes. So that's like the the really important stuff like remembering to invoice clients like what you said on your to-do list and for that sure, sort of stuff sure. like Glenn's a lot more on it with like the the running and the admin of the yep, of yep. the business whereas I'm always just looking for the next direction the next thing to do and executing 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 and the next thing that excites you creatively. Yeah. And but Glenn sometimes has to pick me up and put me somewhere else. Like can you just put your energy over here? And then yeah, I'll just yeah, say, yeah. like, go at it. I'm just a generator. Yeah. Um, but I was going to say. Yeah, I could see that. Like, I could, yeah, like, I don't know either of you that well, but I. Yeah. I picked up on that very quickly. Yeah. Like, so how do you do that as a one man band, though? Have you ever thought about expanding? Have you ever thought? Because you, you collaborate with so many people all the yeah. time, but they're also, you know, their own business their own they're For running sure. their own stuff so like having that you know invoicing on your to-do list have you ever thought about not why don't you just give that job to somebody else um i mean yeah and i and i've definitely had people that do that stuff in the past for me um and you know like on death grip too like i don't do any of the invoicing seager and bren do all that mm. right so i do have people like that um but um yeah, I think I do, but um, I mean, invoicing is such a just a like clerical like <laughs> it's it's more just like me just sitting down and making myself do it, and it's not that big of a deal, right? Um, but I like um, I definitely like the biggest thing. One of the biggest buzzes I get in life is working with people that inspire me. You know, whether that's like John Reynolds, who I've worked with for almost 20 years plus, or Rupert Walker, who I've worked with a ton the last, I don't know, five or so years. Um, But yeah, I get stoked on working with people that inspire me and kind of are on my wavelength creatively, you know? Um, Yeah. Mm. But I'm not, as far as expanding, like there was if we were doing this podcast 10 years ago in 2013, it was like, my goals were like, you know, make some big production company and have all these clients and do all that. Well, I quickly learned like, I don't enjoy doing that. Mm. 
I want to, um, I don't really want to be like taking on a bunch of clients and managing these productions. I just want to be making the stuff I want to make. Yeah. Like to me, like, you know, if it's like just pumping, going to a world cup and like doing, you know, and I did do that for Yeti for a number of years back in the day, but then it got boring. So mm. then I wanted something else. And then I did the Afton project and that got boring. And then I did the, you know, and so I always want to do things. I just get bored making the same stuff. Yeah. To me, that's like creative, like suicide. Mm-hmm. If you just year after year, race after race, job after job, make the same stuff. Like that's like the perfect recipe for burnout. And I had to go through that to learn that. Right. Yeah. Um, and so now I just really try and structure, um, my work and my life around, um, working with people that inspire me and working on projects that I think, yeah, that, that fulfill me creatively. And I just kind of have always hoped that there's an audience out there that thinks it's cool too. (laughs) I think there's, there's plenty of people. (laughs) Um, I guess that we could, we could go on to you're here. Yeah. We're at Ludenville World Cup. Yeah. And you've just done your first I mean, you were at the you were in twenty twenty, you were at Yeah. Yeah, first World Cup since twenty twenty. Yeah, did. and then before that it was a bigger gap, right? For sure, yeah. It was before that, twenty fourteen. Yeah, and then twenty twenty you just did one World Cup, right? Or was no, that no, 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 I did I did um I technically I did, oh, no, the you did whole season. Or yeah, fuck did Leger last year yeah right but you okay. you weren't like that was well so yeah i forgot about Leger, but i went to Leger last year for um and shot for sram yeah um and then um and then prior to that the la i went to um in 2020 obviously like the covid year so i was working on timeless with aaron gwynn a series i did with him yeah um and so i went to worlds and then um the two double headers, Maribor and um, Portugal. So technically I went to the whole World Cup season in 2020. Um, but anyways, before that, I went to, the last World Cup I went to was Leo Gang 2014, which was Josh's first win. Um, wow. Yeah. Bren was telling me the other day, it's the last time somebody won a World Cup on 26-inch wheels too. It was when Josh's you, That's first. just because you left and then, you know, if you'd stayed, then... Yeah, somebody fuck. else would know about that. <laughs> um, but then, uh, yeah, I, did, I went to uh, like two World Cups in 2014, I think two or three in 2013. And then from 2006 to 2012, I like didn't miss a single World Cup downhill or four cross round. Damn. Yeah. And then before that, like I went to um, first World Cup I ever shot was Mount St. Anne 2004. Um, when I was 19, um, and did like the two North American rounds, it was Mount St. in Calgary. That was yay. Was it? Uh, that was, um, yes. Yeah. 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 Um, and then 2005, I went to, um, the two North American rounds, which would have been Mount St. Anne and New Mexico. And then I went to Europe for the first time. So Lavinia Worlds 2005. And then I went to Fort William, which were the World Cup finals that year. And then after that, I basically hit up Yeti. And the same thing, like I said before, I'm like, oh, I'm kind of bored of shooting these North American stuffs. Like I'm going to World Cups. Like, yeah, you know, and I 
convinced Chris Conroy, the owner of Yeti, to send me all the World Cups and made a video after every race. And that allowed me to essentially, like, they paid for my travel. Um, I didn't make any money, um, but, you know, I they paid for my travel. I could crash with the team. Um, and then that was how I made Between the Tape. Mm. So there was like three years, 2006, 2007, 2008, when I made Between the Tape first, the tipping point. Um, and I was traveling with Yeti and then, um, and then, um, let's see, 2009, 2010 was three minute gaps when I was working on the Atherton project. So that was how I was always able to like make these world cup race DVDs, if you will, back in the day, because I had either Yeti or the Atherton's and Red Bull, like essentially paying my expenses. Yeah. Right. That's safe, by the way, uh, Ben said on my podcast with him that the tipping point was... He told me that recently. Did he? Yeah, he said it was like the first mountain bike film he ever saw or yeah. something like that, which is, yeah, it's crazy. It's funny me. how like when you, what order you watch it in, that's the most impactful. Mm-hmm. When people, when we're talking about like favorite mountain bike film, it's often just the one that you came across first that was yes. like significant. For sure. Like Transcontinental, the 99 World Cup yeah. thing that I was... You should check that out, dude. You trip on that. Yeah. Like, it's really good for being made in 1999. Well, that's it. Like, I would consider, because I only knew mountain biking existed, was from 2012 onwards. Obviously, I went back and watched Earth and all that sort of stuff. But I've not watched that. So, as far as my knowledge of it was, was you were the first person to make it, like, cinematic. Hmm. That's how I, it goes in my head. Like, yeah, oh, Clay yeah. came along and he made it. He made it cinematic. Yeah, I mean, um, and I, th- you know, again, it's like, what's your definition of um, killing it? What's your definition of cinematic? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, um, but no, that's that's I'm flattered. That's cool. Um, but I think, yeah, and I think if I look like maybe it's sounding like the 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 maybe the impact I had on you, Alex Rankin had on me. Yeah. You know yeah. I mean? And I think that's like, that's kind of like, yeah, I don't know. It's, um, I know what you're saying. It's like the first time you're always going to remember your first, right? Yeah. The first time you did this, the first time you went there, blah, blah, blah. So, but what um, I liked about you, like your stuff is it was so like, it was, it was heavy handed, I'm talking mostly about three minute gaps. It was heavy handed with the style. Mm. So like it was really ballsy. It was yeah. as ballsy as the riding was. <laughs> Sick. Because it was like, you know, you were doing the crash zooms. Yep, yep. And like it was even by on my first watch, I was even like, these fucking zooms. Like what yeah, were we, what we doing? Were- I remember reading some comments, people a couple of people were like fucking they're like, Oh, I'm sick and stuff. And like, <laughs> okay, well fucking Hey, sorry, bro. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I thought they were cool. Make your own movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. And it, it was just so stylized. It was so memorable. <laughs> that's cool. So that that's what got me stoked on it. And obviously, like the the soundtrack as well. Like the, the chemists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The brand dog yeah. yeah. And I had never heard a chemist track. Mm. So then you, you got me into the chemists, and then like I what, like listened to all their stuff. That's awesome. And then uh, it trips me out that people do that with our stuff now like i can imagine kids growing up in this sort of like overstimulated mad world and then they sit down for an hour and 
30 minutes and watch the pilot are getting the same sort of I hope that that's just as impactful I don't know if it is because they're being stimulated by all this other nonsense maybe the lack of stimulation before is what sort of made those films so prevalent people seem to really appreciate the longer form still totally and I hope it has that same sort of impact and you know people try and find out what the song is and you know for sure they've got that like locked in their locked in their mind yeah but I do I do wonder you talked a little bit about this kind of like the the new media on the the ride companion and uh, I, I see ourselves as like we're happily playing along because I grew up with Instagram. Yeah, right. And and Instagram really is like like honestly don't even remember what I said in in regards. I can't really remember either. I just remember that you were touching on the topic. Yeah, and but it's just, Instagram is just like a distribution platform. Yeah, it's not like anything. It's not like oh, I'm making something for Instagram. I'm gonna shoot it shittier than if yeah right it's but there's more but the volume is like it's 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 like a continuous spewing ever flowing pool of some of its shit some of its yeah it's all sensation heavily sensationalized like if you were to blow if you want to go blow up on tiktok like you just need to make something that's like really gross really like crazy or do do you know what i mean it's like it's, it's all about sensationalism whereas we're into the subtleties of filmmaking. So there's like a, there's like a, a bit of a conflict of interest there with TikTok and Instagram. Mm. Um, and I always imagined, you know, in my wildest dreams, making a film that was like, like the pilot, like it's, you know, it's, it's subtle and it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's all of that. Whereas if you're trying to play the social media game, it's all about just making it as impactful as possible. Mm. Um, yeah I don't know if I do know because I'm just so like I don't I'm pretty unactive on Instagram like it's I find it like you know like by the time something is ready to be posted on Instagram if you will I'm like have ideally put 100% effort into me that it's like no matter how good it is Mm. it's like like I I don't say dead to me but if I do a good job, it's like I don't want to share it because it's like I put everything into it, you know? Mm. And that's kind of been my, that's my strategy with kind of everything is like, fuck the algorithm, fuck whatever, all that stuff, make the coolest fucking thing you can. And if you do that, then all that stuff kind of doesn't really matter. Mm. And Death Grip's a good example of that. You know, everybody's like, oh, how'd you get? the movie on netflix i'm like dude i don't know how i got it on netflix i made the craziest movie i could and the distributor got it on netflix but it's all in the content right Mm. there's no like a real like you know people that are trying to find these like hacks to get more engagement or more followers and stuff are just like lying to themselves essentially it's like if you can just make if you can put 100 percent effort into something and truly be passionate about it. And um, then all that stuff, in my experience, nine times out of 10, works itself out. Yeah. Whether it's getting a lot of likes or somebody in Netflix seeing it and it getting on Netflix. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think quality. An example, dude, I'll use for this that I heard um, years ago, but like um, 
it was some social media meme that that explained it all but basically um when um i think it was it was either jay-z or beyonce i forget they had a new album coming out right and they were they had it exclusively on title which was yeah i don't even know if it's still around but a music streaming that. service yeah. right and so the we like like basically it was like spotify was the number one music streamer apple music whatever there was a couple other ones and title was the seventh but when beyonce or jay-z again i forget which one it was released their new album exclusively on title that week title was the biggest yeah. music streaming service in the world mm. which is a good example if it just goes to show you like the content is king right yeah the actual product is what matters not you know your distribution strategy your blah 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 like people put brands put brands clients athletes like, like put so much effort into this like strategy of releasing it when we're going to release it when we're going to post what time of day and i'm just like i'm like your content must suck because if you make good mm. shit you don't have to worry about that stuff yeah no i totally agree so it seems to still yeah like the amount of effort and if you truly have cared about it and you truly love it yourself it does seem to equate to the views as well but then also i think i think distribution does does matter quite a lot um an example is like the interesting the flying scotsman's got like i think it's like 600k yeah, or something it's doing really well totally um the pilot's got 200 no it's like 250 okay, or something like that new. but i mean it, it, it's it's still really really good especially yep. for mountain biking but i think there's a there's something now where people want to see content from the person so the fine scotsman is on the youtube channel reese wilson mm. whereas Amazon's on like Monsters amazon is on common cell okay so even that like that's definitely it's I don't know if that's entirely the yeah, reason why the audience is smart. They're like yeah. if it's on Reese Wilson's channel, he's an actual human. If it's on Coleman Saul's channel, they're a brand that's trying to It's gonna be something. an advert, yeah. Totally. Um the, and the consumer is now like the, the bullshit sensor for people is like way better. Tell, tell me what you think about this. Okay, so you mentioned the Flying Scotsman and the Amory project. The the thing that like cracks me up about when people like views and stuff. Like, okay, how long is the, is the Flying Scotsman? 50, 49 minutes, I think, maybe. Okay, so 49 minutes at, and how many views does it have now? 600,000? 600,000, yeah. Yeah, so surely the equation to, like, views should be the length of the edit, 49 minutes, times the view, times the amount yeah. of views. No one equates the Watch length hours. of this stuff. Yeah. They just look at the, the view count. Of stuff, yeah, it's easy to get. You know, if it's hard to get forty, or it's hard to get all these views on something that's forty-nine minutes long. Mm. Well, surely, I guess what I'm trying to say is, surely, six hundred thousand views on something that's forty-nine minutes long is more valuable than six hundred thousand views on something that's fifteen seconds long. But everybody yeah. gets so hung up on the view count. 100% we were talking to a brand the other day and they were making the argument that uh, that nobody's on YouTube anymore. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> because because they're doing exactly what you just said. They're they're equating the views. Maybe not the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life, but, but you know <laughs> yeah, what I'm saying, right? yeah, if a, if a video is four seconds on Instagram yeah. and it's 
sick or rad, you're going to watch it six times. So there's your six views. And then you times that by however many people are, are doing that. And then, yeah, it just doesn't, it's not even close to like a one view on the pilot or three minute gaps or whatever. It's like it, somebody spent an hour. Exactly. That's looking what I'm saying. At you know, and like people just get so hung up on these like numbers on views. And it's like, that's definitely a metrics of, of success, but don't, don't get so funnel vision on views that you forget that this thing was an hour long where this thing was like a minute long. Right. Totally. And what you, you're, you're basically, I totally understand that. Like if you're an artist, you can't really think about views at all. You just need to reflect. You just need to do a, as good of a job as possible of reflecting the thing that you're seeing in yeah. as cool and as best of a way that you think it should be seen yeah. and just keep doing that and see if people latch onto it. Totally. That should be your base philosophy. I guess I'm just sort of like operating in a way where, you know, we're, we're kind of playing the social media game as well. We're, we're trying to do these little socials and things like that. And I so think am people- I like the majority of it's like, you know, 95% of stuff I do is seen on YouTube or Instagram. Yeah. We're all playing the social media game. Yeah. Now. Yeah. It's easy to think there's like these like rules for success or rules of how to make good stuff and there there's not. Okay. And 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 that's what I've taught myself or what I've had to learn, what I'm still learning, right? I for me personally, I'm just the most happy when I make stuff that I think is cool and my hope is that a couple months down the line when I look at the comments or whatever that other people think they're cool you know Mm. um but and even if they don't that's okay because like i don't know i think the stuff's cool you know yeah and i'm not saying that for you know and again it's like are we talking about the death grip the death grip twos pretty much any of these films that i've ever done like no one's asking me it's not like all brand sponsors called me up and were like we want you to make a movie about brand dog blah, blah, blah. It's more like, no, I want to make this thing. How can I utilize these relationships I have with these brands and athletes and stuff to help realize, help me make what I want to make, you know? Mm. And there's that side of what I do. And then there's the flip side of it where it's brand hits you up and they go, we want you to shoot this and can you do it? And these are the dates. And, um, and I basically think, okay, um, how much can I learn from this project and how much money can I make from this project? Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and sometimes it's like you're making next to nothing, but you're learning a ton. And then sometimes you're making a ton of money and well, sometimes you're making money and, um, you're not learning as much, you know, and that's okay. Right. I think it's really easy to, I certainly got caught in, I don't know if you'd say a rut, but I certainly got caught in a line of thinking where, where like, um, thinking that that projects are similar to one another where mm-hmm. um they're they're kind of not <laughs> yeah yeah right so i don't know um i think before that we were talking about world cups oh yeah and we're here so for, yeah, yeah we went on a little hiatus there but the uh so yeah i think a lot of people will be sat at home thinking oh like i hope clay's coming back to the world cups um so are you <laughs> um 
I um I'm basically here um working for Boombox, a production company that did like the Loic Bruni Fast Life series. Um and I'm working on race tape season two. Um so they did um they did season one last season. Um it's on Red Bull TV now. Um they uh I don't know, hit me up a couple weeks ago. I was already in Europe, gonna be in Europe. Um and it was just a good excuse to um get back to the races, you know? Um, I'm doing this in snowshoe. Um, oh, sick. Yeah, so I'll be at snowshoe. I won't be at Leger next weekend, which kind of sucks, but I got another shoot going on at home. But um, yeah, I'm working with Boombox. Um, it's been a brand new client. I've never worked for him be- before. Um, I've obviously, I'd seen um, Fast Life. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, they definitely have a lot of experience in... Um, sports documentaries really um but it's been fun really cool group of dudes um we um i was pretty fired up on what we got this weekend and that like um we had like a my we essentially did today what i always wanted to do with three minute gaps and right. that like we had a mic on um we were following um bruni finn loris Valley Hall, Jackson Goldstone, and Greg Menar. Um, but we had um, we had a mic on PD. We had a mic on Andrew Shandro. We had a mic on Finn Isles' girlfriend. Um, I was shooting. Um, I was kind of like the action slow-mo shooter. But then there was a guy that was just shooting Finn's girlfriend during Finn's run. We don't give a shit That's about sick. what happens in Finn's run. All we care about is yeah her right so it's it's basically picking okay these are the stories i'm gonna tell those are the characters and whatever else happens to other people like they're not part of the story yeah we're we're telling right um so it it was it was it was cool i think we were just uh i just had dinner with everybody and we were just kind of debriefing on what everybody got like um but yeah it was um i think um it's just kind of like an extension of really what I always wanted to do with three minute gaps. Like so many people have been like, oh, are you going to do another three minute gaps? And it's like, well, and I'd love to. Right. Yeah. But I'm not gonna, I'm not going to do it. Like I pretty much with three minute gaps maxed out what one person. Yeah. yeah. And it, and three minute gaps, it wasn't just me. Like John Lawler was really involved in it. John Reynolds too. But even so, like, I'm not going to do what three people can do. Yeah. Right. I want to have, um, like we did today, I want to have mics on all the team managers. I want to pick specific athletes and tell their story Yeah, where it's like, okay, you're shadowing Finn's girlfriend and whatever happens to her, that's the story. Yeah. Okay. Not like, oh, let's get a clip of her. Then let's get, try to get this dude. You know what I mean? So, yeah. um, yeah, I think I honestly think it'll be really, really sick what we mm. did today. Um, I'm just helping shoot a couple of episodes, so um, it'll be a case of like um, it's a pretty win-win job in that like I'm hands off and I just show up and shoot and um, you know help them execute this creative that they built, um, and then yeah, they'll I'm not involved in post at all. I'm sure yeah. they'll send me a couple rough cuts and I might give them notes, but. Um, it's kind of like what that's what I like doing these days. I like working with a bunch of different people and I like um 
yeah, just working with people that inspire me. And I would definitely put, you know, I thought, I remember when I first saw Fast Life, I was like, wow, this is really, yeah, this is good. You know, this is, this is, um, just really, um, kind of like an evolution of storytelling around the World Cup series. So, yeah, they hit me up a couple of weeks ago, stoked to be involved. Um, was really hyped on what we got today. Um, honestly, not even hyped on like, like my stuff was cool, but I was more just hyped to see whenever I would like look at the other camera operators. It's like, boom, the camera's right. And yeah, thin, it's happening. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was a really good mix of, um, we, we just, we, we had our characters and we shadowed them really well. And yeah. if they weren't one of our characters, like the, that's, yeah, we didn't, <laughs> we didn't worry about it, you yeah. know? And that's kind of the evolution of um, like like you look at like Drive to Survive on Netflix mm-hmm. and stuff. That it's not like they're telling every team's story. Like yeah. each you know one episode will be centered around one team, and it's like really if you looked at the race results, the team maybe was towards the back of the pack, but they create such an engaging um, look at that person or team's experience. Yeah, that it oftentimes is maybe more and get more of an entertaining story than um, the team that won. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. That was the, the first season with Haas sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so we, um, yeah, it was cool and um, really, yeah, great. The team at Boombox is sick. I'm stoked to work with them more, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. We're we're kind of doing a, a, a similar thing mm. um, in in other areas. Like, and, and it's, as you say, it's really satisfying when you've had multiple shooters all day and there's even stuff like they're all aware of what we're trying to shoot and the stuff that they're doing you don't know about and then you get you get home at the end of the day and they're like oh and i got the shot of that crash that they had and you're like oh my god you got that like that's so so good totally that's the beauty of the like having a having a team being able to tell those stories and for sure expand the coverage yeah like that's yeah people like man i've i've a lot of people have been like oh like are you i don't know coming back if you will to world cups and it's like that's like my dream you know i just don't again i don't like making the same thing that i made before there always has to be an evolution of the storytelling um and the visual style to kind of like keep me interested i suppose yeah so you you said a madness what did i say on the raid companion uh towards the end you said that in order for the story to be elevated in downhill, oh, they the, need to have the, the intercoms yeah. between the rider and the, and it. the, and the managers. And I think that's absurd. I think um, it's absolutely obscene. Well, to have, well, because you're not going to want to hear anything from anyone when you're doing your run, even if you're down by, if you're down by six seconds or up by however many seconds, I think you're always just going to be going as fast as you possibly can. No. Um, I don't want to hear shit. Maybe there's other writers that would want to hear it, but yeah, I mean, that's just you though. Like, it's like, I'm more looking at it from what ingredients do I need as a storyteller to compete with? Yeah. I totally get how you got there. It's just like like the logistics, the logistics of it are just, (laughs) um, yeah, but why not? Why not? Absolutely. Why not? I think that's like, like, and again, it's like, you know, like I could be totally wrong. I just look at. We should do a poll, like what, like between the World Cup athletes, like who would want that? 
and find out who, who yeah and maybe they don't want it but i'm not i didn't say that to cater to the riders I yeah said it's like a story storytelling yeah. right yeah. like in my opinion there needs to be okay look at on netflix drive to survive compared to the golf show and the tennis show yeah okay i didn't watch drive much to survive is considerably better because they have communication to the athletes that are doing it the mm -hmm. tennis show and the golf show they don't have a coach they don't the editors and the storytellers don't have dialogue to play with mm. while the tennis player or the golf person are doing their sport and therefore that's why i think the drive to survive show has been immensely more successful and that's why you're shooting finn's girlfriend whilst finn's Exactly. Run that's like as close as you can I don't care about Finn's run I care what, about what Finn's girlfriend is thinking yeah that's way more relatable like no one can relate to like oh Finn did a sick whip like you and I can but you and I are yeah. very core right yeah and so my kind of what I was saying on that other podcast is like if mountain biking wants to compete with F1 the there needs to be some sort of dialogue correspondence whether that's from a coach or a team manager while the action is happening mm -hmm. because if you really break down drive to survive on netflix it's a show about teamwork it's not a show about driving the shot of lewis hamilton driving a car is really boring okay it's about hearing what he hears when he drives the car and that's what's interesting mm. right in the same way like yeah you and i think some sick whip is interesting but um 144 million people aren't going to think that and if we want mountain biking to get to that level and maybe we don't that's cool too i had a really fun time today right i'm not like i'm just i made that comment to um because i've spent yeah, like even this horse racing documentary that I did, um, it's really cool and it's good, but there's no communication to the horse drivers when they're doing the horse thing. And that's, in my opinion, what makes Drive to Survive so successful. Mm. Yeah, no, that's a better way to, to explain to, it. Um, but yeah, I think um, maybe the athletes wouldn't want any sort of like in-ear comms but i'm i didn't say that comment to appease the athletes i said it to give me the ingredients that yeah. i need to make something that compete with drive to survive yeah that's sick you get it yeah i get it um so what did you think of this event here what do you because this will be your first one with under the with the new ownership what do you think about a semi-final um man it was um really interesting um i mean on for dudes like us it's great because we get another option to shoot them know when they're going to come down the hill i even do things like you know shoot the semis be down the bottom for the finals but then in the edit it'll look like the semi run is the final for so sure you got, you got that material yeah there's like there's more i think it's like cool for us um i think um I mean, what are the little things that trip me out? Like, like I wasn't used to, we did track walk and it's like the, the, the yellow like poles that are there instead of like course tape. Wasn't expecting that. You made a really good point. We were setting up for this, um, that there's no like finish line arch yeah. anymore. I didn't even notice that today until you mentioned it. 
Um, but as far as like the new organization, um, I mean, I definitely didn't really understand canceling the, the, the junior race, um, yesterday. Yeah. Um, but I think okay. that, I don't think we need to go into that cause it's pretty, <laughs> it's yeah. like, I think a lot of people didn't understand that. Um, but I was, um, I was pretty impressed just watching the, um, when I was shooting the race and watching the live feed, um, you know, there's an FPV drone ripping around. There was a Mavic drone. There was a cable cam. I thought the actual, like, um, the, the, the amount of aerial footage in the live feed impressed me, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but I think the new format's cool and that it allows us to get more action. But do I think having another run is going to make World Cup Mountain Bike and compete with Drive to Survive? No. We need more dialogue ingredients. Mm. You know? Yeah. That's that's what makes that show. And honestly, my favorite out of all these like sports docs that are super really popular on Netflix are Drive to Survive and then the um, Tour de France documentary. If you look at the two parallels of those, they have a team around the athletes communicating with the athletes while they're doing the sport. And like I said, that is, in my opinion, as a storyteller, the ingredients that the storytellers around the sport need in order to tell an engaging enough story to a non-endemic audience. Mm. Um, yeah. That I'd love for somebody to prove me wrong and do an all slow-mo, no dialogue thing <laughs> that make that my grandmother loves, you know what I mean? But like, <laughs> I don't, you know, yeah. it's, 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 um, it's interesting, like doing stuff about like, like shooting professional athletes are, it's really interesting in that they're obviously the best in the world at what they do, but all the stories are kind of all the same. It's mm -hmm. like person X either has this goal and they're either going to reach it or they're not. And that's the story, right? Yeah. And I think what Drive to Survive does so well is they tell this. It's not about race car drivers. It's about teams mm. in the same way the Tour de France documentary on Netflix. It's about, it's a show about teamwork, you know? Yeah. And I think downhill racing is in a really interesting spot and in that like, it's obviously, you know, nowhere near as, biggest tour de france formula one whatever golf and stuff but there still is this really interesting team dynamic that i don't think has been fully showcased you know like all the attention goes on the athlete right um and i think if if you can kind of crack the code of how to tell this 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 more team focused story that's what the general public i predict will respond to and that's certainly what i responded to with drive to survive 100 percent, yeah it's that like wider context that you need yeah to even care exactly right like because it's hard to make an audience care dude like there's so much stuff out there man like let's be honest like i'll watch if i'm not into something on netflix in the first like 30 seconds boom on to the next thing yeah. you know um and it's and it's like it's it's easy kind of like you were saying which you're so right and on the same where like you used to not in school understand why somebody didn't think certain song was as cool as you thought it was mm -hmm. it's easy us being so into mountain biking ourselves that to assume that like 
other people will think it's cool. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I'm just, I, I, I suppose I'm at a point in my storytelling career where I can identify when I see stuff that I like, what ingredients did they have to yeah. make the thing that I like. And, and in watching Drive to Survive, the, the ingredient that sets that thing apart is the communication mm. with the teams. And that's why today was so cool because we, 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 yeah, obviously there's, it's not like, we put in earpieces with the riders. Like that's a very like kind of like who knows if that will ever happen, but you need to showcase the people around the athlete in order to get your average Joe invested. Otherwise it's just some superhero athlete. That's the average person can't relate to because most people aren't really good at what at, aren't the best in the world. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That was Amory for, for us. And that was the that was the problem that we wanted to like solve, but it was also like a French English problem as well, where we felt like mm. there was a huge disconnect between the English audience and the French, like domination of the sport. And all that everybody would say in media was, "Oh, the French are so dominant." The yeah, and who are they? Who are the people? Yeah, yeah. And so Amory was the was just the most obvious example of the of kind of like a faceless character. Like, obviously, he had a face, and you could see him. He was jumping about on the podium being all happy, but he just won the race. I know nothing about the guy. Yeah, totally. And he just returns back to the French team, and they all speak French, and I can't speak French. And the difference, like, like, like if I have, like, I almost feel bad comparing your Amory project to, like, a drive to survive, right? But I'm going to just because it's fun to. (laughs) The difference between... You know, obviously, Drive to Survive has millions of dollars to make that show, and you guys had fractions of that. But your Amory project was really talking head retroactively. Thinking. Yeah. It's a bunch of people talking about what happened in the past, where what Drive to Survive does so well is they just document it's in everything. The moment, yeah. Exactly. It's yeah, because we decided to make it after. Yeah, which is makes it even harder, right? Yeah. So, so it's like, and that's the thing is like talking heads are kind of like, just like poor man's storytelling, right? It's mm. all about the best documentaries. My favorite ones are all visual evidence. Yeah. Like you want, dude, you should check out the Billie Eilish doc on Apple I've TV+. Seen it. Plus. How good is yeah, it, it's right? it's insane. Three and a half hours and there's not one bit of voiceover and not one talking head yeah. in the whole movie. And it's gripping, right? That movie is 100% visual evidence. Yeah. How good is it? The, the, the commitment required to spend that much time I'm stoked you've seen that dude dude it's it was unreal yeah, but like yeah. the, the fact that the i can't remember who was shooting it but it was also just like friends and family as well but the the coverage there like i wish that i had the ability to be a hundred percent there for any of the one things that we're doing because we're we're almost doing so much now that it's yeah. like we're trying to get all these things covered and we can do a really good job of that and then you you cover the pits and stuff like that, but then oftentimes there's not much going on, and you you need to be there a hundred percent of the time, and you also exactly. you need to be there like in between the races as well, and go. So I kind of wish like we're doing, we always end up making something really cool at the end of it, but it's like we're almost doing like too much. Is maybe if if there was one problem that's that yeah, we're having, it's um, 
as I guess inspiring as it is for dudes like you and me to look at like a drive to survive as a like and compare our work to theirs. Yeah. We have to be realistic that um they have way more cameras and budget which allow them to have more cameras and because they have more cameras they can have one person only on you know there's a dude whose job is just to film christian horner all day yeah that's a job brief if he gets fucking food poisoning and is shitting his pants and puking like keep filming him. that's the fucking story yeah right and so um but that that that's what was really cool about what we did today is we started to do that stuff yeah in world cup which i certainly had never done before and mm. you know like it's um but you, again you can't compare yourself to you guys can't compare yourself to drive to survive because you have clients to appease right yeah your clients are trek and whatever and they sell bikes and that's right you're not making you're making content as you say that's going to live on the brand's socials and yep. stuff not on the athlete's social and that's what you know if drive to survive lived on um yeah like the the team's page it would yeah. probably have the audience would be a little more um maybe i don't know just have more of a guard while watching it i mm. suppose yeah yeah um but i think um yeah, I mean, I think I think I think the interesting thing and why I'm so like fired up on um and it's not a new thing. As soon as I saw Drive to Survive the first episode that came out, I was like sick. There this is how I've kind of always wanted to shoot World Cup mountain biking. They've just done it and have the budget to do so. Yeah. But mountain biking's in a really interesting spot in my opinion in that it's not as big as F1, so the access is so much easier right yeah so much less politics right like we're friends with all the athletes right um mountain biking's in an interesting stage where i think i think um it's certainly gotten so much bigger since i first got into it but it's still not like anywhere near f1 or anything like that Mm. right and so i i think um it's at a cool point where you can kind of leverage that as a storyteller and 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 create even more engaging stories than like the drive to survive show simply because we have more access and there's yeah. m- because there's less money in it right mm. there's just less bullshit around it therefore you can make a more authentic story that like i would love to do drive to survive for mountain biking and never have a talking head interview yeah yeah 100% visual evidence right like the talking heads in drive to survive are only to support the visual evidence that they've already captured whereas like i guess i suppose my critique of your guys amory project was that there was you you there was it was too much retrospective exactly you know but you know don't let that comment like no we fully understood that yeah exactly it's like and and so you know and if i look back on the coolest part in all of three minute gaps do you want to know my favorite part in all of three minute gaps is when g gets um he doesn't do well in Val the Soul and he goes, turn the camera off, Clay. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because that's, that's real. visual evidence real. Yeah. That's what the audience looks at and goes, okay, these guys aren't telling me a lie. Yeah, it's not yeah. some talking head interview where it's like, um, and so I think, you know, talking heads are fine and I've certainly used them fucking in tons of shit, but 
the goal is to use a talking head to support visual evidence, mm-hmm. not to try and be visual evidence. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah. But it's hard. You got to have a ton of cameras and you have to be really diligent about, okay, this camera person is literally only shadowing this person all day long. Yeah. And that's the story, you know? And you can just hope you can gather enough characters where um, you can um, you can then have enough material to make it ideally almost all visual evidence like the Billie yeah. Eilish doc. Yeah, I think the closest that we're getting with that is the, with Pink Bite Racing. Just because that, enti- that team's existence is entirely because and dependent on the video series. Like, it exists because there's going to be a video series. Mm. So there's more commitment internally within the team to just allow documentation at all yeah, sort of yeah. points. And everybody understands that. Um, so every single moment, no matter how like difficult, awkward, sad, real, yeah, it's all it's all there. Um, whereas I guess with most teams, they're all just trying to race. They're all just trying to perform. They don't give a shit yeah. about your film well, most of the I, time. I don't. I don't know if I agree with that. Mm. Like we didn't have any issues this weekend miking up anybody. No one was like you know this morning when we're like pd we're gonna put a mic on you all day long andrew shannon we're gonna put a mic on you all day long finn's girlfriend we're gonna put a mic on no no one no one was like no i don't want to do that you know Mm. um i think definitely um and it's not just like drive to survive prove that or whatever it's like we live in an age of media and content and like um i don't think you guys doing pink bike videos is unique at all Every team has a filmer in some way or another, whether it's a GoPro attached to them or them owning an iPhone. Yeah. You know, you guys maybe might have more structure than other teams, but I don't know if it's, um, yeah, I think, I think dudes like you and I have always said, like, we're lucky in that, like, the art form that we fell in love with is very current to the now. Like, you and I could have been, like, doked on painting, right? Yeah, or photography. <laughs> um but you got what i'm saying yeah absolutely um but i think it's um yeah and i hope like maybe what i said on the ride companion or whatever doesn't it's it's um yeah you guys are fucking killing it no and i like no it was no offense it was it was like it was more funny that Mm. um that that sort of came through because and i completely understand why like you said about the sort of technical the technical stuff because like we use autofocus you know like which is autofocus is fucking sick yeah autofocus <laughs> is sick and 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 but you're just like such like a you know you've honed your craft over years and you're mm. you're like truly like a master of it you've done like 10 your ten thousand hours or whatever your focus yeah. pull in so like a completely manual perfect focus pull does look better than you know, your Sony camera's locking on and then it kind of maybe goes out a little bit and it's like yeah, a bit like... Well, you know what looks better than the best focus pull ever? Visual evidence. Yeah, yeah. Right? That's it. It doesn't matter past the point. Yeah, like it, like it, yeah. And so that's maybe like, I don't know, like, it's, um, there's always going to be like new tech to learn. It's how you leverage that stuff to 
elevate your storytelling and what you're trying to say mm. that's what matters right like technology is not like not like oh i have a red camera now i'm going to be a better filmmaker it's like how do you use this tech it's like the technology comes first and then the creativity after that yeah right mm. and a lot of people think it's the other way around but it, it it really is like um good creative people look at tools mm-hmm. and they go how can i use this the best yeah. right you can give a hammer to 20 different people and some people are going to use it better than than others mm, right yeah so i think um yeah i mean my advice for you my advice for myself would be don't get caught up in the technology use that as a vehicle to um to tell better stories basically mm. it like brands and athletes are um i find a lot of times that like they don't know what they like Mm. and because of that they just kind of like copy what other people do Mm -hmm. right um and i think audiences are like that too like i i I, um you can't um man how do i explain this without just sounding like a fucking asshole (laughs) (laughs) Um, like 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 it's our job as storytellers to present stories that audiences didn't know were there. Mm-hmm. And again, not just completely going back to the Drive to Survive show every 10 seconds, but like they, they, um, the audience thought they already knew what Formula One was because they've just seen the TV broadcast and stuff when really there's this whole team dynamic behind the whole thing that then was documented really well and then brought this entire new um non-endemic non-f1 fans to the sport you know Mm. definitely something i'm stoked to do i feel like i've only now really recently am am like somewhat ready to do that you know um takes a long time to you know storytelling is um you're you're no one's ever mastered storytelling right so um again i just i don't know for me personally i just get stoked on um telling stories that i think are cool and hopefully there's an audience that thinks the same yeah and there's certainly been times where where, you know there's there's i think something cool and 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 um yeah other people don't you know but that's like art in general yeah the world would be boring as fuck if everybody thought the same you know like if you make work that like everybody unanimously likes you're kind of like yeah you're not you're not really doing a good mm-hmm. job because that's what sets this apart from that yeah i don't know hard, it's hard to explain and again i, I certainly haven't you know we're all learning right um but I don't know. I I definitely am at a point where I'm ready to do another World Cup project. Um it's like the year. Yeah, and I think I've 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 only really now just learned enough where I could make something that's a really true evolution from like a three minute gaps, you know? Yeah. And um 
yeah see what happens <laughs> sick yeah that's really cool that's amazing what's uh what's next for sleeper co well i mean post-production on what we've been shooting basically as soon as with this season's finished that's straight into the cave and uh yeah yeah what what, what would be your dream project in mountain biking it's the drive to survive thing as well it's like we have I mean, the same yeah. idea totally um and like like it's almost like there, there there's like all these like really talented people shooting mountain biking you guys mono whatever even just in world cup mountain biking where it's all really i don't think the sport's ever gonna like kind of mature in the at the speed we all want it to mature and kind of like grow if we're all not working together right that's it you doing track me doing this whatever mono doing this like like that's kind of all just everybody's just copying each other mm. you know what i'm saying where where, where where my vision would be for all of us to work together on some crazy show on netflix that we all can really do something together and it's it's almost like we're all like well we are all competing with each other yeah you know what i'm saying and so but it's obviously easier said than done it's a lot easier to get money for for a project when it's going to live on the trek youtube page than than you know to make something that you hope netflix will buy right yeah or you hope that the UCI will allow us to do it type thing. Mm -hmm. But um, I think I've seen the sport grow from, I've seen, um, I don't know. I think, I think we've all just learned a lot now where like we, I, I, I don't, I shouldn't speak for other sports because I don't know, but I would be hard pressed to find another timed sport like the ski racing does every team have a filmer in ski racing that goes to all the World Cups and shoots that? Like, I don't think they do. I could be wrong. Yeah, I know in motocross is pretty similar. Yeah, unless, okay, fair enough. Um, um, but yeah, I know what you mean. But, and, and moto, I'm sure, has the same problem, you know? It's like, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's like, so, so, so my vision and my what I think would be really cool is if somehow we could get a big enough budget from a Netflix or something like that to all be able to work together yeah and we could turn down the kind of like stuff directly for the brands that's kind of feeding this social media machine that you know is is um yeah i think i think there could be a more fulfilling way to document the sport for all of us that's not to say doing the the branding content's bad or anything like that but there's just a lot of really talented people shooting World Cup mountain biking right now. And imagine how crazy it would be if we all worked together on something, you know? And again, that's like why I'm a Sleeper Co. fan. It's like every time I see you guys, there's like a couple more cameras, right? So you guys, I, th I, th I think we're all doing it and it's maybe I'm just like impatient. Yeah, it's tough because like even even what I'm saying about like, in my opinion, if you want the sport to get to the next level, you need to have the riders, you need to have communication from the teams to the riders while they're racing. Like, obviously that's not fucking happening anytime soon, right? But it's more, um, I just get a buzz off of that type of thinking, Yeah, right? Doing like, even saying like drive to survive, but for mountain biking, I'm like, okay. 
how's it going to be better than drive to survive mm. right i still think the biggest thing mountain biking has going for it right now certainly world cup mountain biking is its size right it's not too big and it's not too small yeah right we have really good access to all the athletes um and um and that's what i think the pitch is and i don't want to pitch to to uci or warner brothers or eso or whatever it is i want to pitch to netflix because mm. they're in 144 million households and they're the biggest and that's how the most people can see my work you know Fine. and not even my work the sport you know yeah and maybe it's like maybe we don't want the sport to be that big right like i thought today was pretty sick i don't know like, yeah i hate to have such like a kind of like wishy-washy mindset about it but like you know i say this stuff just looking at drive to survive and working backwards on what i think makes that show successful just simply as like yeah it's just fun for me to look at things that i like and then ask myself why did i like that yeah and not be like, oh, because it was sick. Oh, because it was that. No, really like X, Y, and Z. I liked mm. it because it was cheddar cheese and this meat and blah, 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 blah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I like looking at stuff and going, why was that so powerful? Mm. Was it this? Was it that? Was it the combination of this and that? You know what I mean? And yeah. I just, that's like kind of like, I don't know. It's fun for me. Yeah, right? it's almost like you you set like a, an ideal and then it, you're just trying to get as as kind of yeah close to that as humanly possible and i get what, what you were touching on before you're kind like, of almost like we're already doing it yeah like the drive to survive thing it's like there's this imaginary scenario that we're thinking about but like what you did today is kind of what it is yeah you know? we copied drive to survive yeah it's like literally we that's like it like you're really doing it. like <laughs> poor man's version of drive to survive with yeah yeah but it'll look and feel to other people because People won't know what what's missed. Yeah, people won't know what was not. And 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 I don't think like like yeah. To me, the route isn't approaching UCI, ESO, or Warner Brothers. Like it's approaching a streaming service that has so many subscribers that they have budgets where the ESO, UCI, whatever it is, that they won't be able to say no to right it's mm. like going to them is like that's a very good point it's too in circular it's too it, it needs we need to go to like yeah like yeah the and have them go to them yeah i mean i definitely I think, think i do you, want the sport to grow yeah me too um and i think um you know and it's not like it's not like do i want to do it do you want to do it it's I want it to happen. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what I'm trying, and I want it to happen. And and the only way it'll happen is if, like, in my opinion, is if we all do it together. Mm. Because you need that many cameras to do this type of stuff. The secret to Drive to Survive is they have even if half of us. Yeah, I mean, that'd totally. be better than nothing. Like today was like you know, it's like we did all this stuff I've always wanted to do, and it was um, it was three cameras and a sound guy. Mm. right it's not like a huge team but when you get people that are passionate like you and i are and that know the ins and outs of the sport like that could really go a long way when you approach a box-to-box films about doing that because they're used to 
just just cameras everywhere and having a editing super team that has the time to go through all this stuff mm-hmm. right like the magic to those shows are in the shooting ratio right imagine yeah. how much they shoot compared to what makes a show yeah um and so and that's that's kind of the ma- magic of like any good non-narrative documentary like the documentaries are gnarly for like you just shoot all day and hope you get one quote that's the usable yeah yeah so um but i think um for me it's about as you say i want it to happen um and um i think um i think if my prediction if is if people like you and i work together and other people around this like we could make something maybe even crazier than drive to survive because people that are shooting drive to survive are more or less like camera operators that are used to like being in the right place right time they're not like they've like grown up doing this and Mm -hmm. loved it from the start right and mountain biking's at that size where it still has that like personal connection to it like you and i have but is getting bigger where there's enough going on where we can kind of like begin to like tell similar stories around Mm. like drive to survive does yeah and it's not and it's not been successfully well it has been like translated to a wider audience on that scale and for it to come out of the actual core and for there to be enough core filmmakers that have the ability to tell those stories yeah so in a very particular spot it feels like now's the time for sure but it but I, I definitely think now's the time, but it's also like the magic is in like assembling a team that's like the core filmmakers, like you and me, then also a bunch of camera operators that if we go, yo, they on whoever, Steve Pete all day while he's watching the race, they're going to have the documentary storytelling experience to not get distracted when Finn run comes, Finn comes, or yeah. sorry, Loic comes down and all the French people are going crazy, right? Yeah. And that's that's what I think mountain biking that to me would work really well is if you get like dudes like you and I that are super passionate about the sport have some storytelling experience, but and then you assemble other camera operators that all they know is to take direction on what to shoot. Yeah. You know? Mm. So Yeah, it's powerful. Um but yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's figure it out. <laughs> Let's work on that. It's um one thing I've learned too is in production or content creation, whatever you want to call it, is like whether it's a client or an athlete or brand or whatever, they they don't they can't really get on board until you can show them something that's not a deck. That's mm. a sizzle reel. Yeah. I wanna see what music you're using. I wanna see what's you know, what visual styles you're incorporating and stuff. And even Death Grip 1, um, we we did the first shoot in South Africa. That was the first segment we shot. I got home from that. I cut a sizzle reel straight away, mm. okay? Then every shoot we did thereafter, I would add to that sizzle reel. And until we had that sizzle reel, we had, like, really dialed decks, dude. Like, you know, it was like... Yeah. But until the client feels it exactly no pdf deck is gonna Mm. really do it you know it's almost like in my experience like brands need to feel like they're like missing out on an opportunity 
Yeah. And then they get kind of like, holy shit, they're doing this without us. We got to get involved, you know? But until you can kind of show them, yeah, a sample, a sizzle, it's, it's, yeah. um, you're only going to go so far. The commercial world and is so gnarly in terms of like, if you're bidding on a ketchup commercial and you only have footage of mustard in your reel, yeah. you're not going to get the job to make the ketchup commercial, which is ridiculous because they're both foods that yeah yeah right like are pretty much the same food one's just red and one's yellow but like that's in the same way you can't expect the kids that you went to to uni with to be as stoked on the song as you are Mm. the same goes with people who you're pitching these projects to yeah so i don't know it's hard but i think um I think the I, th- I think the opportunity, like like dudes like you and I can see projects kind of like in the forefront better than most. Yeah, that's probably why we do this, right? But we I've had to learn that you can't expect other people to see it to, to see it like we do. Like I remember back in the day when I'm doing the Atherton project and stuff, I I would like hear this the chemist song right that mm. i used for like the bren dog section i was like heard it and it was um i was at the atherton's house and i was like playing it for rage and i was like this song fucking crazy listen to this drop blah 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 and she's just looking at me like okay dude you know <laughs> and i used to not get that i used to be like why does rage think it does she have a shitty taste in music does she blah 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 yeah, you know yeah, and it's yeah. like well because she doesn't think like i think yeah right and so I've had to kind of like learn that. And for me, it's been really healthy to learn that, right? Mm. Um, we should work on some together, bro. We absolutely need to, my guy. We have to. We have to. Yeah. We have to. What's, um, what's, uh, who's going to do a Cade film, by the way? Well, that's a great question. Yeah. You guys should. I'm sure you're already on it. I'm sure other people are already on it, but, um, just been trying to. Well, the problem at the moment is his schedule is really busy he's all booked out with shit and then when he's when he's not booked out with stuff he's he's Cade Edwards he's the least organized person on the planet he doesn't doesn't follow anything so you need to basically manufacture a scenario where you can spend months with him yeah yeah yeah. just hanging out and you can't another thing I've had to learn is like is like Cade Edwards wouldn't be Cade Edwards if he was really good at communication yeah like, yeah i don't really know k that well but like you get what i'm saying yeah right exactly and 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 in the past i used to get like frustrated at athletes like oh they're not getting back to me blah 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 blah. but it's like yeah. you they probably wouldn't be as good as biking if they were good at planning what shoots they were gonna yeah, do yeah. you know i'm surprised he wasn't in death grip too well he is gonna be in death grip too he is yeah yeah we just haven't shot it yet damn yeah oh it's like that i thought it was like approaching its final stages and you're like no 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 death grip to um we've shot five out of eight segments damn so we still have three segments more to go fuck i mean yeah. it was, if it's we're probably like funny if you ask bren we're way further along than if you ask me really <laughs> yeah <laughs> but um i would say yeah we're five out of eight segments but there's still it's not like what what is that 70 percent what is five percent of eight i don't know seventy percent yeah whatever we're not seventy percent there's a lot of like um sorry i think we're nearly full on media oh no worries we'll we'll, um but um we could just sign this off yeah yeah but um 
yeah, we still got more to do on Death Grip, but it'll be worth the wait. It'll be worth the wait. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks for coming on. Cheers. Stoked.